FM Literature with Nancy Richards. It's Saturday FM Literature and it's a show about words and writing and books and reading. And what else do we have? We have uh, th- things that are thicker than blood. It's a show about collaboration and design, mother tongue, summer songs and all sorts of things. So hopefully you're going to be able to stay with us right through until four o'clock. Let me introduce you to the team. I'm Nancy Richards. I'm here together with Rob Parkin in Cape Town. And in Johannesburg, we have Sulu Fellow Pelo and Phineas Ntoba. Well, let's get on with the show. Let me tell you what we have got lined up in our hero piece for today. A very new writer to start with. She's in Kita Mlanzeli. And her first novel gives an all too real insight into the lives of so many teenagers right here in South Africa. It's one in the Harmony High series and it's called Blood Ties. After that, in our book club feature, today we're going to be looking at book design, which it seems to me to be kind of an underexposed area of the book industry. And we're going to be talking to Patricia, uh, Patricia Blom, who is a book designer, graphic designer and book designer. Then in our text feature, it having been International Mother Language Day yesterday, you might remember, we'll be looking at some of the implications uh, of mother tongue language and mother tongue uh, education and the importance of it. And apparently, Africa is the only continent where the majority of children start school using a foreign language. How interesting is that? Telling us a little bit more, we'll be a publisher with Oxford Dictionary. She's Megan Hall. Then after the news at 2 o'clock in book 2, it's a story of collaboration and betrayal in the anti-apartheid struggle. It's called simply Ascari, and it's written by Jacob Glamini. And what a book, what a story. So do stay tuned for that one. It's apparently flying off the shelves. So I'm looking forward to talking to Jacob, who's actually based in Boston in the States. So hopefully we'll get a good line. Then in our bookshelf feature, where we like to hear what uh, listeners are reading, and our reader today is Ditsietse Malane, and she has a title to suggest in case you're wondering what to read right now, or in case you're reading something really special, why don't you let us know what you're reading that you've really enjoyed. You can pop us a mail, books at safm.co.za, books at safm.co.za, in case what you've got on your bedside table is really gripping. Then our story feature today, well our story feature is a musical one. Nigel Vermas looks back nostalgically on Songs of Summer in Cape Town, lovely title. Then after the news at three o'clock, our very own Roger Webster looks back on a world of old stories. In fact, he's looking back on a hunter, the gentleman's name is um, Harry. I've forgotten his surname, but anyway, Harry was an erstwhile elephant hunter. So Roger's going to be entertaining us with stories of uh, way back when and elephant hunters. And then in our back page feature, for those of us who seem to spend their lives sending emails, 12 things not to put in, this, put in the subject box. That's with Amanda Patterson of Writers Write. A little bit of information about email etiquette, which is one of the things that just goes out of the window. The rate emails get sent left, right and centre. One doesn't always think to do it properly. 12 things that you should not do with the subject box. And then after that, the Sunday play. So hopefully you'll stay tuned for all of that. And just quickly, if you were looking forward to hearing Barbara King-Solver, who I promised again this week, she was talking about for her book flight behavior um sorry to disappoint you but we had too many things to go into this week's show so good news bad news but the good news is that we will be holding that one interview in the bag and hopefully we'll play it next week so stay tuned (laughs) 
SFM Literature here on SFM where we talk about books and writing and reading and all the allied interesting subjects that go with them all. And don't forget if you want to get in touch with us at all uh, during the show you can do that. The number is 0892102010 and Rob will answer the phone. Uh, otherwise you can pop us an email. We're at books at safm.co.za or find us on Facebook where I usually try to put up what's coming up on the show. What came up uh, last week, I think it was last week, here in Cape Town, was uh, a very new book launch. It was at the Book Lounge with a brand new writer writing for very, very brand new readers, I think I could say. <laughs> the book itself is called Blood Ties. It's a dear little book. It's sort of like pocket size, uh, published by cover to cover. And it's been written by 30-year-old Zimkita Mlanzeli. It's uh, one of our Harmony High series for young people. And what I can say is it's a real dip into the lives of so many young people living in this country, which is what makes it such a, an important read, not just for the target audience, but for anybody else, just to learn what it's really like for, for a lot of our kids. So with me in the studio, we have Zimkita. Lovely to have you with us. Thank, Thank you very you much. Nice and, um, and congratulations. Thank you. You did so well at the book launch. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, I know you, apparently you were nervous, but for sure it didn't show. Still am. <laughs> well, don't be. And uh, interesting that you were in conversation with Professor Njabulo Ndebele there. Who? Uh, I mean, it was so interesting to hear the two of you because here you are, a brand new writer coming fresh with young people, and here he was, a sort of a veteran. Yes. Um, and it was so interesting to hear the two of you chatting there. But Zimkita, let's begin at the beginning here because I keep saying that you, you know, you're a new writer, but I, I think this is your first book. Yes, it is. T yes. Tell me how you came to be writing it. Hmm, the story is very interesting. Um, I work for Funza Literacy Trust, which is um, an organization that promotes literacy um, amongst the youth. And I happen to be a writer as well for Funza, for the short stories. And when we needed another Harmony High, um, cover to cover approached me and said, we have a, a writer in the house, so how about we go on with another Harmony High. Well, fill us in on the background. Funza, you've been writing for Funza yes. and the Harmony High series. Tell us first, Funza, explain. Funza. Funza is a literacy organization. Um, we promote uh, reading uh, to the youth by producing short stories that are South Africanly written by our authors. They're gripping, they um, address issues, even though it's not always you know, that's our target to, yeah. to um, address these issues. But then the storylines about things that now happen. These are the ones that the, the kids can get on their phones. Yes, on their phones. It's <laughs> so it's a mobile library. Uh, you go online, you find funza.mobi, and you have a library on your phone. Mm. Read short stories. Well, with the Harmony High series, you can have a library in your pocket. In your or pocket. Or the beginning of the library <laughs> in your pocket. Because the Harmony High series is... It will explain. Harmony High series. Um, because Funza wanted to get the stories out to reading organizations, to schools, to libraries, they needed a vehicle to, to um, get those books out there. So that's where Cover to Cover came from. And then we decided, oh, let's have a series. Sort of like um, there was a popular uh, book series in America, but then our kids uh, didn't have, our South African kids didn't have such. So uh, that's where the books come from. And then Cover to Cover is the publisher, and Funza is sort of the writer okay. of these books. So Harmony High, so it's, it's, it's sister publications in the States talked about mm. a particular high school over there. Mm. Harmony High is a, a fictional high a school. Fictional. It's not a real one. Not a real one. <laughs> but it could, it's at, the same time, <laughs> and, but it, at the same time, it could be any high school. It maybe. could be any yeah. high school, and that is the thrill of, um, of um, 
writing fiction that it could be anywhere in the world uh, you just the reader identifies where they are and yes yeah so and, well there I? are a lot of young people who can sh for sure identify with I mean I keep saying that I, I, I mean I don't know but I had the sense I had the sense so Polisa so she's uh, she's in the taxi she's on her way into Cape Town here she's in the minibus mm -hmm. the, the grass looked green and lush the start of new things a promise of great things on the journey ahead mm -hmm. at least that's what Polisa told herself as she sat by the window and watched the mountains float by and there she was on her way to Cape Town mm -hmm. so who is Polisa tell us about her Police is a character um, from one of the Harmony High series. She's best friends of Leletu, who um, was featured in one of the books, uh, Two-Faced Friends. That's where we first meet Polisa. But she doesn't have a role much. She is best friends to this girl whose story, that's the story about this Leletu girl. But uh, now we decided we needed new characters. We needed to develop new characters and um, Polisa was the right choice. Okay. Young girl with possibilities. So, so this Harmony High series, I suppose in a way it's a bit like being a script writer for generations. You, you get yes. the people and you've got, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Could be a TV series. Could be a TV could series. Be, well, yes. And a lot of our readers have said, if this could mm. be a TV series, I'll be watching it all the time. But there <laughs> was a TV series, wasn't it? Yizu Yizu, was it? Yizu Yizu, yes. Remember. I remember. Um, it was a high school and in Soweto, I think. Yes, it was a bit edgy. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thrilling. Yeah, well, and I have to say that your book is a bit edgy too. And mm. I thought, you know, this is, well, you, you need to tell us the story or as much as you, as you possibly can. But I mean, you know, just to know that this is how a lot of young people are living, mm. the sort of things that they are dealing with on a daily basis, it's really quite hectic. Yes. Tell us a little bit the story. What happens to Polisa when she arrives here? She arrives in Cape Town with her brother, um, Maspole, and... Sort of her brother. Sort of her brother. Um, um, stroke uncle. Yeah, stroke uncle. Um, uh, they're cousins, actually, but then because one is older, you address them in, in that manner. And it's new possibilities. I mean, she's about to go to a new school, uh, meet new friends, and um, her old friend. And... But now there are challenges as well. They don't have much. Um, they uh, live in a shack, and her brother is is somewhat of a, a loose cannon, if mm. I can say. He's mm. got he's hot headed. He's 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 got that um, passion about him. And now she has to balance being a teenager and having to be a sister, be grounded, be a kid, be all that. But how, how, how do you find that balance? How do you become this one person and then yeah. another? And yeah, so yeah. those are the challenges. With nobody really to support to her support other than is. her buddies. Mm. You're listening to SFM Literature. If you want to give us a call, 0892 10 2010. Maybe you've got questions around Harmony High and all that goes with it, 0892 10 2010. A lot of things she's balancing because <laughs> this poor kid she comes along here to Cape Town um, her grandmother's died which mm. is why they're able to move into her yes. shack but she what struck me is the relationship that she has has with her brother who's what's his name what's Masi yeah, Masi or Max as he then becomes yes. um, her relationship with him is one of fear huge respect uh, it's a balancing act she's constantly thinking will he be angry if I make a noise mm. will I is that how it is? I mean, there's not much difference between them in, in age. And I thought, this is very hard work for a young girl. Yes, because they grew up in the in the rural areas, you'd find the difference is, um, I was chatting to a friend just the other day, um, 
the kids that grew up in the rural areas, they still have that um, thing with respect that your elders are your elders, your, your big brothers, your big brother, your big sister is your big sister. As compared to the urban children, um, they, they do have respect, but the way they address those things are completely different and which is was mind-blowing for me as well to have to revisit you know because I also grew up in the in the Eastern Cape um, to revisit that angle yes yeah, so the the respect issue and then the balancing of he's a brother I mean he's not much older than me I could yell yeah. at him if I wanted to but then again I can't. Yeah. So it's it's quite a, yeah. a dynamic. You might, you might be on the wrong end of his, yeah, of his, his temper. temper. Um, respect. So respect in that traditional sense is in very good. Sense, respect yes. in betwe between the young people themselves sometimes gets a bit lost. lost. So there's uh, all sorts of other things that mm. go on. Just explain that. I mean, let's let's talk, look at the relationship between Polisa and Leletu, for instance. Mm. That relationship is 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 a bit casual it's easy because they're friends when um they're more like sisters they're more they more have a sisterly relationship chatting away on mixage mm, <laughs> so uh their relationship is, is is a bit easy but then of course you find that even with your friends there are just some things that you cannot share with them because there is the whole issue of how are they going to take this? How will they see me now? How would they think of me? And then, but still, you can still talk to them in, in about some other things. For example, she finds it hard to talk about Masi with Lele too. Um, but otherwise, they chat about boys, they chat about school, they chat about other things. So that relationship is, it's more sort of a go-to for Polisa. Yeah, mm. yeah. But it, I come back to the thing of her not really having anybody really, really to go to. to go There's to. nobody there to support her. She mm -hmm. has to find her own values and, and find her own sense of what's right and what's wrong. And that's that's Polisa, because she, and she's a girl. And I'm, I'm a bit worried about Massey <laughs> and Max, who also doesn't have anybody to yes. go to, and yet he has an image to live up to. Responsibilities. And he kind of goes seriously off the rails, which is what the whole book is, is about. Tell us a little bit about him as a character. Massey is a strong-headed, closer guy. Um, you know, he, he grew up with... with um, knowing that I'm the man of the house, I, those are my responsibilities, I take care of my family, I provide for my family. And he's, when you're a, a, a child growing up and you don't have much of a childhood, you assume all those, um, those grown-up responsibilities, so it's hard for him to know who he is. He, he, he missed a lot uh, being a child. So now there are these um, complex feelings he's going through, there's this changes. I mean, he's in a new city, he's never been in a city, and uh, it's kind of difficult yeah, for him. And he can't get work, he which, can't is, get which work, is another which thing that, that, that upsets her on his behalf, and yes. another thing that gives him a bit of a, an attitude, because mm. you say he needs to accept responsibilities, but but he's not, um, he's also assuming the sort of habits that older people might take on mm. without really knowing yeah. why. <laughs> he's also a victim of peer pressure, yes. big time. Mm. He's still a child, I mean, yeah. he's coming into his own, um, young 20-year-old coming into his own, and um, peer pressure is, is a big thing, especially for us. Even in my 30s, I still find that peer pressure is among my, my peers. It's 
It's a big thing. They're married, they have children, they have houses, they have cars, and here I am. <laughs> so you still have to find that balance, who you are yeah. in, in your society. In your, in your and here you are, a writer, a, writer. a published <laughs> author, which is not, not to be sneezed at. The, it, it gets worse, I'm not going to go too deeply into it, but it, it gets worse, it gets very, very ugly, it's very awful, and I'm thinking, gosh, how do young people really handle this? There doesn't seem to be much help at school, not, not really much support there, mm. absolutely no support from the police there either. Situations that you've obviously perhaps hopefully not experienced directly but certainly you know only too well about these situations is it is it common unfortunately nancy it is um in our townships there there was a time when um there was a lot of um reported and unimportant uh, reported rapes our young girls go through that every day now unfortunately um it's not talked about it oh it's been talked about too much and then some people say oh we know you know it's it's rape so it's new and and then um they don't have a voice so you don't get to talk about it you don't know where to go i mean there are places you could go to but you like you said you still find that there's no help um you go to the police station they say do this do this do that and then you find you know what what's the point yeah let me just carry this with me you said at the beginning the harmony high series have a sort of message without being too preachy yes. uh, and you know the the messages are legion in here mm -hmm. loud and clear what the messages are and how to handle things and how you should and shouldn't i couldn't help feeling do you want your child to read this because whoa that this is not it easy is but at the same time they need to because they just need to know and it's mm -hmm. it's too late to have childhoods when this sort of thing is happening for you the message ultimately at the end is what there's hope oh there's that's, hope. that's a good one whichever way you look at it there's mm. hope um there's help out there and there are people who are willing and are ready to help um you just need to find it within you and then just that one person that you can talk to what do the what's the Department of Education feel about the Harmony High series? Are are, are you sort of um, are, are you uh, set works? Yes, no. Have the teachers respond? What? The teachers um, and and the, the the kids who have uh, received the the copies from uh, our book distribution, they're loving it. Mm. They they feel that these are issues that they would like to chat about and discuss, and because it gives a different outlook on if I were in this situation what would I do yeah. would I go this way or this way and then it offers that other door of possibilities oh this character did this I didn't think of that mm -hmm. I could do that too so the feedback is really great from, from interesting the children. that even in the book there is an opportunity for the for the for the young people to do sort of like role play yes. or something and I thought oh, that's <laughs> such a good idea but again it was not a popular move with the principal yeah. two last questions for you Zimkita mm. we're about to talk in a minute about book design and we're also about to talk about the importance of mother tongue education yes. uh, on t in terms of mother tongue language what language when you were at school what were you taught in in English, in English, in English. Um, I took English, Afrikaans, and Kosa, 
and in my it, it, in my Afrikaans class, we only spoke Afrikaans. In my Kosa class, we only spoke Kosa, but the rest of the subjects were taught in English. Did you write this in English or in Kosa? Yes, I wrote it in English. I find it difficult a bit to write in Kosa, mm-hmm. um, but I, I do read Kosa, I do write Kosa, but most of my thoughts and my everything yeah. come Might you translate English. this? <laughs> <laughs> it's a challenge. <laughs> that is a challenge. Think about but it. I, yes, definitely. Would Lovely, and we'll, we'll, hopefully the uh, the publishers will think about it too, and I'm sure, quite sure, that they have already. Zimkita, lovely. Yes. Thank you so much. Very Thank best of luck. Are you writing more? Have you got another one up your sleeve? Just now short stories for the okay. time being. Okay, until oh, I'm sure we'll hear more from <laughs> Lovely. Thank you. Mlanzeli, and she's uh, written a book called Blood Ties, which is one of the Harmony High series, and they're put together, published by Cover to Cover Books. So if you'd like to know more, check their website, which is covertocoverbooks.co.za. And do stay tuned because in a minute we're going to be talking. Oh, cover design. Who took the picture on the cover? Um, I think it was Robin. Um, okay. we, we work with a, a, a group of people. That, Very real um, life. All of them are yeah. real life. We yeah. go out into sets and then. Yeah, the photographs. Yeah, a whole lot. Lovely. Well, yes. it certainly it tells you all about it. Lovely. Uh-huh. Thank you very much. Thank you. Blood ties by Zimkita Mlanzeli, and in a minute we're going to be talking about uh, book design and also about mother tongue language education. So stay tuned. <laughs> Well, right now you're listening to SAFM Literature and, and don't forget if you want to get in touch with us for any reason, you're welcome. Books at safm.co.za. In fact, if you'd like to suggest anybody for our book club feature, you're most welcome. And in the book club, what we do is we feature people who play various different roles in the whole book industry, which is huge. And it was kind of a selfish little reason for putting together this feature because I just felt that there were so many people doing things that I just didn't know about. It was a, an indulgence on my behalf to, to find out a little bit more, principally book book design, which I think is such a fabulously interesting uh, area, but very undersung. I mean, we all look, that's the first thing we see about a book, but we don't often talk about book covers and how they work and how they don't. Mm. So we have with us in the studio freelance graphic designer. She's Patricia Blom. Hi, Patricia. Hi. Nice to have you with us. So freelance graphic designer is a clue. I imagine you do a whole lot of things as well as book design. I do. Um, In fact, I I no longer do much book design. I used to run my own show for about 10 years, so I have a huge amount of experience with book design. I used to do high-end coffee table books, um, you name it, school books, (laughs) a whole range. And um, I'm currently um, creative director at an agency, Um, but yeah, I can tell you about my journey doing book design. It's just a big, fascinating, interesting, huge adventure. Mm. Well, yeah. tell, tell us a little bit yeah. about how did you get into it? Because it, it's one of those things, I mean, I don't know if a, a graphic design school mm. or art college or whatever it may be, um, check that they say, okay, now we're going to have a lesson on book design. Are there rules and regulations? How did you start? <laughs> um, I actually started art um, as a packaging designer at my first job. So I used to do packaging design for Woolworths and then I moved on to an ad agency and I was on the Shell account so I've done quite a bit of um, different design work so very 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 diverse so eventually um, I decided to start working for myself and um, a friend of mine Lindsay um, told me that she's busy editing a book would I be interested in designing it so I said well I've never done a design (laughs) for books so she said no just give it a bash and I'm 
that the minute I started working on my first book, I knew that that was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Oh, <laughs> I just loved it. I just loved working with authors. I loved working with academics and with, you know, intelligent, respectful um, people. Um, and it was just one big adventure from one, ne- to one project to the, to the next. Mm. It afforded me the opportunity to travel and to work um, abroad and um, I used to commute to, to Namibia to work with a lot of my, my clients there and I used to fly to Singapore to go and check my book um, books on the press and I did a beautiful project with a very very well known South African um, businessman he passed away about five years ago um, He we did his autobiography so it was a project manager, myself, and an author. So we worked on the project for about three years or so. It was quite a, an intense project, and there was absolutely no budget. We we could choose the most expensive paper. Um, we we no had limit to the budget. No limit. Yeah. Absolutely no limit. Yes. Wow. Um, I mean, we hand um, ch- selected um, leather for the cover and gold foiling and you name it. It was a beautiful project. And um, towards the end of the project, he um, invited the three of us to to their their huge house in Monaco. So he flew us over, and we had chauffeurs, <laughs> and we worked with the family for a week at their beautiful mansion in off the the coast of of um, between wow. Nice and Monaco. <laughs> and we just spent the entire week in this bubble with this incredibly wealthy family, and they. Sp- just treated us and spoiled us and <laughs> do you know how many people are thinking you know what i want to be a book yeah. designer <laughs> i'm sure that's not it was always fantastic the case. i'm yeah. sure that's not always the case however Mm-mm. no i can tell you that i've i've sat at night or at three in the morning crying because of deadlines and feeling so stressed about deadlines because the book has to go to print most of the books that i worked on used to go to the east so you know you had to be ready and so i'd sit there <laughs> crying i don't think i'm going to make this deadline it's not going to happen it's just too insane but yeah no i made it <laughs> wow i wasn't expecting yeah. any of that I, mm. because i suppose when you think of book design think of the cover which is, and it's not all about the cover mm, is it no, no not no, at all it's, what is what else is it about well obviously um well what really what happens t- typical book pro design process is you meet the author and the, the types of books that I worked on were quite intense so a lot of research went into a lot of the books so say so non-fiction um, sort of books on the Okavango and Namibia or yeah, um, coffee the, table. Yeah, mm. coffee table books. So by the time I receive the manuscript, the the author is so sick and tired of the project because they've done their field trips, they've written their their manuscript. So by the time I receive the manuscript from the author, they look so tired and so over it. Over it. <laughs> they just want the the designer to take it away from them, and then they want to see it printed on their desk in a few months' time. So so it takes. Um, quite a personality to to work on on a on a project like that. So you you need to be quite tenacious. You've got to you've got to be really strong and tough, and and you've got to encourage your authors as well, and and keep them um, inspired as well throughout the whole process. So yeah, so the manuscript and all the pictures arrive, and then it's up to me to d- to do a template design. And then they sign it off, and then once they're happy with that, then then I start laying it out, 
Um, and then obviously there's a lot of toing and froing, and that's why I used to fly to Namibia quite often to go and sit and work on intense 600 page books or whatever, and then come back and then finish the, the project. And then the cover design usually happens towards the end. Because for me personally, it's easier because by then you've actually, you've, you've buried your whole soul into this project and you know exactly what it's about. I mean, you kind of read the manuscript as well because you need to know what the, what the book is about. Yeah. So you really get your claws into it. And then that's, by then I know how to package it beautifully so that it looks beautiful. You know, obviously, see, if you see it on the shelf, then the cover obviously makes you buy it. Yeah, it's the headline, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I mean you talk about packaging design, and I yes. suppose it, book design is packaging it design. It is very much so. It's yeah. very, um, cover design is very difficult. I'm interested that you worked a lot with the authors. Mm. I suppose if they're author publishers or, you yes. know, sort of self-publishers, you would do. But yeah. it seems to me that authors are fairly far down on the food chain. You know, once um, once a publisher has decided this is the mm. book that they're going to publish, don't they have the last word on the subject or not really? No, not not with none of the books that I worked on. I dealt mostly directly with the author because um, because it's it's difficult going through a second person. You don't get the right message. Whereas when the author's actually sitting next to you and you're sitting and working on screen, you get it right immediately. And that's, that part... It normally happens towards the end, beginning, the beginning, and then sort of the middle is the layout, turing and froing, and then towards the end, the author would come and sit, and then we'd just fix everything up immediately, It'd like take a couple of days, and then yeah. everything is sorted. So it's much easier that way. It's, it's so not just about the content, <laughs> is no. it? No. Um, in a minute, we're going to be talking, later on, just mm. after the news at two, we're going to be talking to Jacob Glamini, mm -hmm. and simply because the book's here on my desk, I yes. think we could talk about it. It's called Ascari. And, you know, the cover being one mm. thing, I'll get your opinion on that later, but it's also the typography. It's it's how yes. you, uh, you know, where each chapter begins and ends Absolutely, and if there's yeah. a clean, uh, in this case, mm. where there's a, a blank page yeah. and, and where there's a quote. So the typography and what typeface you use mm. and what size you use, mm. do, do you get to decide all those things as well? Yeah, um, most definitely. See, um, because of my years and years of experience i know exactly what what is easy readable and i know what font size is, is um suitable so i know already and i and i can if you show me a book and i, I can probably tell you what the typeface is tell me what the typeface is <laughs> you know it's a, it could be it's this looks like it could be it looks very similar to Janssen or Burling or one of those fonts. But yeah, I, like I can suggest fonts yeah. and... <laughs> well, I can tell you because it says it's it by Dukana and it's, um, the cover design was by Publicide and it's, Publicide, mm. and it's set in Sabon, 11 on 15 oh, point. Yeah, 11 point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and it's very readable. Yeah. It's very, um, yeah. it's, yeah. And it looks kind of serious. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. Does that make sense? Sometimes yes. you read a, you see a fiction book that's sort of a sans serif mm -hmm. typeface and mm -hmm. it looks lighter yes. somehow. Yes, like recipe books. Yeah. It's suitable for recipe books and stuff like that. But yeah, usually um, reading books are normally set in a serif typeface. Yeah. yeah are there rules? I, I mean, you say usually reading books. Mm. Are, there, are there, can you sort of Google, this is how <laughs> to do a, a book design? Um, there are rules. Obviously, if you look at a book and you see how, like, this is perfect bound. Mm. So obviously when you open the book, there's quite a big um, gap in the gutter. Yeah. So obviously there, there would be rules as to margins and gutters and stuff like that. And and then obviously things like running headers and footers, page numbers, that kind of thing is, is not, 
the normal thing you're starting to talk in another yeah. language. Just explain perfect bound <laughs> as opposed to? Um, there are there various types of binding, binding. but but mostly perfect binding is um, where they when they stitch the book in sections yeah. and then they glue the the cover onto the onto the book. So, or you get obviously hardcover books that are um, with with um, end papers yeah. and tip-in pages and stuff like that as well. So, yeah, it depends on on the client's yeah. budget and requirements. I'm <laughs> sure budget plays a huge it part. Does, yeah. You said that the the thing that comes last is the cover. Well, let's talk last about the cover. In my case, yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. What what's your? I mean, this is a this is the story of collaboration mm. and betrayal in the anti-apartheid struggle. It's sort of black and mm. white and tinted, so you get a sort of nostalgia. Um, um, retro feel, yeah. yeah, and at the same time, it's quite edgy. We've got the man with the balaclava. Mm. Uh, Jacob Darmini's name is quite small relative to the title. What, yeah, um, does it work for you? What? Well, um, I've noticed um, a lot of books, especially. Um, yeah, I've noticed that usually the, the the title of the author sells the book. Yes, and then the, the title is, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then the title of the book is usually quite tiny. So it's quite unusual to see the title quite big. Mm -hmm. So that's quite interesting, because as I said, yeah, it's usually the the author the author sells the book, not the title. So, but yeah, I think I'm not a big fan of of um, italics on a cover because it's to me it's not very uh, readable. But yeah, it's um, it's very interesting. It's nice to see. A whole lot of um, old photos, and I don't think I would put as much copy on the on the cover because the cover is quite busy as it is. So yeah, that's my well, my I'm, take I'm, on it. I'm sure <laughs> Dakana are listening. <laughs> my goodness me! Um, but that's really interesting. Mm. So is it one would need to do, to become a professional book mm. designer? One would need to do a, a graphic design course, a design. Yep, um, of some sort. I study graphic design and I study book illustrating, so I've illustrated quite a few books as well. Um, but um, I would say, yeah, there's so many amazing courses going at the moment. Um, but yeah, focus on on graphic design um, if if you want to focus on book design. But usually the courses now are sort of mul uh, digital as well, so getting yeah. into the whole digital sphere. Essential. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think for um, it, yeah. A book designer must be tough. It's really a tough, tough job. It can be lonely because you sit for hours and hours and hours working on the same project for a couple of months. So you really have to be strong, a strong person. You can't give up very quickly. Yeah, and competitive. And, and yeah, I'm just thinking if you walk into any bookshop, there are absolutely one million and two million it's books. Overwhelming. There. Yeah. So, for, from your um, in your point of view, from your point of view, if one wanted to do a little bit of research mm. and they went into a bookshop, should they look for the covers that jump out at them? Should they? What? How can you use a bookshop as a sort of training ground? <laughs> well, I do that all the time, mm. and obviously I go online and I look at inspiration online as well um, yeah so I've done it a lot like I go walk around a bookstore and obviously the the covers that that jump out at me are usually ones with with big titles and and very simple nice strong image on the cover nice strong title short sweet and beautiful yeah and the the issue of shelters, um, like we've got one here mm. from Mark Hafisa, Jacob Dlamini's new book is erudite, provocative, eloquent, and mysterious. Oh, yes. uh, you know, good to have another name on the um, on the cover. Um, Do they work? It's a bit much, I think. As I mm. said, I prefer simplicity. Um, if you uh, look at a lot of my book designs, it's really a beautiful title, beautiful image, 
And I think that's enough. There's a lot to read inside the book already. So I would put this kind of thing on the inside, maybe on its yeah. own page. You know, just give yeah. it a nice standalone because that is getting completely lost yeah. to me. Wow. Yeah. Do you <laughs> consult? Um, at the moment, I'm, as I said, I'm busy. I'm currently creative director mm. at an agency. But yeah, I can, I can certainly do that. <laughs> well, there you go. And I, I feel you've had a bit, little bit of a, a sort of a, uh, a preliminary lesson on book design. Yeah. But if you'd like to know more of what the end result looks like, mm. why don't you have a look at Patricia's uh, website, which is bookart.co.za, bookart.co.za. They do say that you can't tell a book by its cover, but... I'm not so sure that that's true. <laughs> I think it's a, a very interesting one. Fascinating, yeah. absolutely fascinating. Patricia, thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. And uh, Patricia Blom, she's a freelance graphic designer, but she is with a creative agency, uh, an ad agency at the moment. But nonetheless, you can have a look and see what she does on bookart.co.za. Well, don't go away, because what we're going to be chatting about in a minute is uh, in, uh, mother, mother tongue... Uh, teaching, teaching in mother tongue, which we understand is to be the most important thing in education. So stay tuned. SAFM Literature. It's a show where we talk about books and writing and all the things that go with it. And wasn't it interesting to hear what Patricia had to tell us about book design in general? It's certainly not uh, not just a, a one-dimensional uh, industry, that. And if you'd like to, if there's any other area of the book uh, industry that you'd like to know a little bit more, do let me know. Pop me a, a mail, books at safm.co.za. Patricia herself had a couple of other ideas there. And it really is it's such a huge industry. We're going digital, publishing is changing, there's everything. It's, it's, it's really fascinating so let us know if there's something you'd like to know more about or maybe you're in the book industry yourself and you've got a story to tell pop us mail let us share what we're going to share right now is language because yesterday was international mother language day what we're going to share today is the concept of why it's so important for children to be learning in their own mother language. We have on the line Megan Hall. She's a publisher with Oxford Dictionary. I know she has some very strong thoughts on the importance of mother tongue learning. And she also tells me that Africa is the only continent where the majority of children start school using a foreign language. It's a bit of a scary concept, but we have got her on the line. Hi, Megan. Hello, Nancy. What did you do to celebrate International Mother Tongue Day yesterday? Um, I uh, prepared for some children's parties, oh. <laughs> basically. <laughs> but um, no, I, I've I've been doing a little bit of reading around it, and it's it's a very interesting um, way in which UNESCO has chosen to to support mother language, and um, it's it fascinates me as to why we call it Mother Language Day rather than Mother Tongue Day. Mm. But that was obviously their decision. Yes, I must say I keep tripping up every time I say mother language. Somehow mother tongue sort of goes together, or we've come to use it that way. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, it's the same thing, isn't it? I mean, mother, mother tongue is just a sort of... I'm not, I'm not sure if it's more understandable mother language. I don't know. I don't know. And mother language sounds a bit coochie-coo, yes. uh, um, which obviously is not what we're talking about. So no. let's start with this thing about Africa being the only continent where the majority of children start school using a, a foreign language. I suppose that is so true. Yes, and I think it has huge impact on um, children's experience of school um, those all-important first years when, as a parent, you really desperately want your child to enjoy school and not feel that it's a, a drag and something that's imposed on them. And yet, so many children go to school and they're immediately being taught in a language that they actually don't know. Mm. Um, and, and what it must do for their self-confidence and their 
ability to absorb the content of what they're actually being offered is just it's quite mind-blowing. Yeah, barrier. In fact, our first guest today, uh, Zimkita, she was telling me that she was taught in, in English, Afrikaans, and Isikosa. So she had the three languages to deal with, which is which is not, not helpful, I'm thinking. The other thing you say uh, is that research shows that a solid grounding in mother tongue is essential. It's an essential first step in education. Just expand. Well, I think that... Um what research has shown is that all the skills that children develop in their mother language or their mother tongue are skills that they are then able at a slightly later stage to transfer into an additional language. So I think many, many parents um, who speak a different language to English at, at home, um, they actually feel that if their child doesn't begin immediately with English at school, even if they don't understand it, that they're going to be at a disadvantage. But actually what the research shows is that if they start school in Isizulu, for instance, and that's their mother language, and they develop a whole range of skills like reading and decoding and um, encoding and all kind of basic literacy skills, that they end up being what they can transfer into English, and they do that quite confidently and competently. So language doesn't exist in a single box. Yeah. There's not a box called Isizulu and a box called English. It's, it's very much a kind of um, language development which... The skills grown in one will um, support the other. Yes, I suppose if you translate it in sort of gym terms, that language development would be in, in one little box. And if you can get good and strong with the love of language, whatever language it may be, you can then move on to something different. Yes, and I think that, um, you know, in some provinces in, in South Africa, it's, it's very possible for schools to, to really support um, mother language. For instance, in the Western Cape, where the dominant languages are English, Afrikaans, and Isikosa, you know, the school has three languages at most to deal with, really. Um, and, and it's therefore got a, a real chance in offering support for um, mother tongue. Whereas in Gauteng, for instance, it's a lot harder. And this is something that um, sort of language policy and, and language um, experts have really beaten their heads against, um, you know, with a province like Kauteng where you may have 11 languages plus in the classroom, in a single classroom. How do you prepare as a teacher? How do you um, try to meet the most children where they're at, where their mother language is? Yeah. Sure. We think we have it tough in this country. We learned last week, um, we were talking about the uh, the uh, Jaipur Literary Festival. Apparently they have 27 languages in India, so I suppose wow. we, it's may, maybe not quite so bad here after all. <laughs> but one of the things that you talk about, that the solid grounding in mother tongue is very, very important. After this, you say a second language should gradually be added. So a little bit like adding milk to your coffee or sugar yeah. to your tea or whatever. Just, just little incremental bits. At what sort of age? Because uh, children's brains develop in a certain way, don't they, at certain times? They do. Um, I think, you know, we, we're all guided by the decisions of the Department of Ed Education, really, um, if, our, if our children are in government schools. So um, one of the things that changed in the curriculum about three years ago was that um, English became, a, um, well, a required subject as a first additional language subject um, right from grade one. So a child coming into school speaking Isizulu um, will be studying Isizulu if they're at a school that um, has that as a mother language. And then also in grade one, they start with the very basics of English. So starting to hear the sounds of English, not trying to write it down, not trying to read it, but listening to it, um, having um, you know words shown to them in it and that sort of thing. So. 
that's the approach that the Department of Education has recommended. And it's, you know, research shows it's actually an excellent approach. Um, and the main point being about additive bilingualism, that it is not um, English comes in and replaces the mother tongue. Mm. You know, it's not replacement um, that we're looking for. We're looking to maintain both the mother tongue and an additional language that may or may not be useful for the broader study and, and stuff like that. What's the best way of bringing in second languages or third languages? It, you know, because, I mean, with language comes all sorts of issues of grammar and structure and construction and so on, which in itself can be a little bit confusing. Is it best to bring it in in a sort of narrative way, in a fun way? I, I don't know what... I think that um, what, what is a huge benefit to children um, at a time when their brains are so plastic and so able to absorb and um, at that at junior primary, so grade one, two and three stage, um, is that they can absorb it by being exposed to it. You know, us adults, we tend to have to take a more structured approach, uh, learn a bit of grammar, you know, get vocabulary lists in topic, you know, sort of chunks and that sort of thing. But, you know, children when they're at that young age, they really can absorb it from hearing it spoken around them in the same way that they acquired their own mother language. Um, so children can almost get an extra language for free if it's offered to them early enough. Um, and so those parents, for instance, who have more than one language to offer because they speak more than one language themselves at home, um, they have a huge gift that they can give their children by offering them both languages, by speaking both languages around them, by telling them stories in both languages. And then they, they can acquire both languages um, in a way that seems almost effortless to us as adults um, compared to the struggle that we usually have to acquire a language at a much later um, stage. Are, are children able to cope with that dual language thing? I mean, it doesn't scramble their brains, does it? Um, well, people come, you know, people have very divergent views on that, and I've seen it in my own family. Um, my uncle believed that it was necessary to stop his children speaking English when they moved to the Netherlands and to only have Dutch spoken to them. And um, the result of that was that they lost their English, which they'd sort of partially acquired. Um, and I think my feeling is from, you know, following this debate quite closely, it really, if you... If, if you don't mix the languages up in a sentence, so if you speak a good sentence in a particular language, even if the next sentence is followed by a, 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 a sentence in another language, the child over time can distinguish between the two. Alternatively, if the father always speaks French and the mother always speaks Swahili, the child is able to realize that, that that language is what I speak with my mother and that one is what I speak with my father and granny speaks a different language and so on. Um, and children just have a remarkable ability at that stage when they, their brains are so receptive to it to be able to distinguish in that way. And the only real downside seems to be that they may um, produce speech, they may speak a little bit later than their peers who grow up in a monolingual environment. But ultimately, um, being bilingual has, has a range of, of benefits, brain benefits, um, which, which, you know, monolingual children don't have the, the benefit of. 
Well, you say the Department of Education have got a bit of a grip on it, and you, from your point of view, they're doing it's a good job that they, they have a good system going. There are all sorts of other role players who can help uh, in all sorts of different ways, not least the parents who may have very strong views one way or another, but also the schools and, and also the publishers. Uh, we were talking to Zimkita, who'd written a book called Blood Ties. She wrote it in English, although her mother tongue is a Sikorsa. She, she said she would find it difficult to have written it in, you know, in her own language language first off should publishers be producing then in two languages I mean we've had this debate so often but what what's yeah. your feeling well you know educational publishers are certainly in the business of providing materials for um, as many languages as they choose to and often that that is all 11 um, so publishers who are making books for adults usually work only in English and Afrikaans although some do work in other languages but educational publishers are pretty much forced um, by the opportunities that are in front of them to produce material in a range of different languages. And um, I think what sometimes um, people go to bookstores and they say, I'm really looking for a great storybook in Chivenda. I can't find anything. Why aren't publishers providing me with this? Mm. I can't believe that there's nothing available. And I think the sad fact is that many publishers are providing those things, but they are not in bookstores. Yeah. So I would encourage people who are looking for, you know, something other than English and Afrikaans to look at publishers' websites and you'd really be surprised at how much wonderful material there is. Full color, lovely stories, a range of different materials available in a range of different languages. And, um, you know, publishers really have have that range at their heart. You know, they they pursue it because it's an opportunity and because they know how to provide excellent material. Yeah, and I suppose at the end of the day, every bookshop is, uh, can't afford to be having books on the shelves that people aren't going to be rushing in to buy, which is a, a pity, isn't it? But we do have the net, you know, so there are all sorts of things available. Uh, you yourself, Megan, are with uh, Oxford Dictionary, you're a publisher with Oxford Dictionary. Are there dictionaries, um, is there a whole lot of dictionaries in each and every different language? Well, to help these very young people. You know, different languages have different um, resources available in them. But one of the things we've been trying to do over the last 10 years at Oxford is actually to make um, dictionary resources available that are available in English and Afrikaans to make resources available in other languages. So we started off making a, a range of picture dictionaries, full-color picture dictionaries made in South Africa for the South African curriculum in all 11, 11 languages. And that's been a very exciting um, process. And we, those, those dictionaries have been out for some years now. And, um, yeah, they continue to sell because, you know, many schools will sit down and have parallel medium or dual medium schools where the, the, the class is um, Isikosa and Sisutu. And our dictionaries enable teachers to sit down and have you know, a dictionary for one language, the dictionary for the other language, and yet they're all looking at page 10 and they're all learning about, you know, going to the beach or um, parts of the body or whatever it is. Mm. So, you know, we're really trying to foster that and spending, you know, at a, at a more senior level, really spending two to three years, sometimes even up to five years, making a really worthwhile, bigger dictionary um, in an African language. Um, I know that one of the things, sorry to interrupt yes. you, one of the things that you're, you're fostering as a concept is that everybody should just learn to speak another language as well, which would also help. I mean, never mind things in print or on the radio or television. We just all need to be speaking other languages. Absolutely, and, and listening to one another and 
trying to be a little more receptive to what our neighbours might have to offer or the children that our, our children are playing with and having a go. I think um, a long time ago when I was trying to, trying to learn French, I was just so humiliated and embarrassed by the idea of opening my mouth and saying something that would sound ridiculous that I didn't and I eventually dropped French. And I think it's, you know, we have to be out there and put ourselves on the line a little bit and open our mouths and have a go. <laughs> Lovely. Megan, talking of websites, if anybody would like to know more, what is there on your website that might point people in the right direction of um, bilingualism? Well, we have a wonderful range of um, readers in a whole range of different languages. My particular area of interest is, um, is in dictionaries, so all our wonderful dictionaries are there. And we've also got a whole range of um, sort of questions, answers to typical questions. So um, people who want to know why isn't the word that I'm looking for in my dictionary, um, we've got answers to those kind of questions oh. on our website. Well, and your website is? It's www.oxford.co.za. Easy as that. Yes. Lovely. Megan, thank you very much. And uh, as I say, happy International Mother Language Day as of yesterday. Thank you very much for your time. Take care. Thanks. Yes. Megan Hall, publisher with Oxford Dictionary. Well, if you'd like to find out more, check their site, which sounds very interesting. It's oxford.co.za.